time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 25 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton But most importantly, we hug chickens every day, every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland, Coffee Coffee. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Uh, It's a cold brew. Cold brew because it's a little warm and it's spring and they have the best cold brew over at Coffee Coffee. It's really good. It's really good. If you are a fan of delicious cold brew or any kind of coffee and delicious pastries and other really yummy things and you're local... (laughs) Head on over to Coffee Coffee. You will not be disappointed. It's May. This is the time of year we've been waiting for all long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Holly does not seem as enthused as I am about the weather. The thing is, for the last... It's been rainy, but... Well, the last 17 years, May for me means shearing. Oh, yeah. And shearing is exhausting. And so... I've always shorn the llamas in a pack as myself, and they are shorn for this year. Good. Wore me out, man. I yeah. Am, 17 years, I was a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm old. Let's just <laughs> say that. And we're not even doing the sheep ourselves this year. We're just getting a shearer to do that's them. That's good. So we're waiting on her to come. So that's finished. What's up on your side? Well, we are thinking about starting that coop soon, uh-huh. yeah. which has to be started soon. And just kind of Joe has a plan in mind. So okay. I'm letting him go with the plan. Okay. And our friend Ryan, actually, who lives very close to us, said he has some lumber in his yard. So we are going to take him up on it because this lumber crisis that we're in right now and steel yeah. is crazy. Oh, the prices have gone sky high. We are actually salvaging as much as we can. I'm going to check with my brother-in-law and see what he usually has some stuff. Yeah. And we have some stuff left over from the run. Uh-huh. That's perfect. So we have it in our barn and we're like, whatever. We're going to use whatever we have. Right. Yeah. You can make it sturdy. So that's where we are. We got to also redo the roof of the big girl run. Right. So we have the joists, the brackets to go up on top. Do you have the timbers to go up there? I don't know. That if I, That is not my specialty. Okay. But if that's the only thing you end up buying, that's not too bad. No, it won't be too bad because their roof does need to be redone. Right. It's worked. It's not, you know, as pretty as I would like it right, right. Now. So, yeah. But the coop, that way the babies have a really good place. And yeah. they're going to be two flocks, but brought together as one, basically. And they yeah. might, hey, decide, I'm going to sleep over there tonight. They might, but it's good to have that extra space. You oh, just, yeah. You just never know when you need it. Oh, yeah. So how are your babies doing? They're great. They're getting big. We generally have them out every day in the pen that's next to the big yard where they're going. Yeah. The Jersey Giants are fascinated with them. All the Jersey heads run over. Agatha Christie is adorable and she sort of sticks her head through the fence and helps them <laughs> forage. It is so cute. Ruth Bader Ginsburg does it for the most part. She does the same thing. But Esther, who's always been the sweetest of the Jersey Giant girls with people. She's like, get out. She will peck them right in the head. It's awful. <laughs> Have they gotten pecked in the head? Yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah. She's She is not happy with the babies for whatever reason. Yeah, so I have the integration cage. Uh-huh. It's always up. Because if you have to move a chicken for a few minutes, I use it for all the chickens. Right. So they've been out there. They love it. I did that video I put up on Instagram. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. It was like a time lapse. I uh-huh. just sent the camera there, the phone there, and took some video. And they were loving life. Yeah. 
So they've been going out there. Plus, I try to sit with them and free range with them. And I'm going to tell you, we did that episode on Rhode Island Reds. Right. Spicy is proving us wrong (laughs) on so many different levels. Well, the whole thing, like I said, is that one by themselves is a whole different entity than a flock of Rhode Island Reds. And yeah. And the other thing that we always say is you get what you put in. Absolutely. But from the beginning... This chicken has wanted to be on you. Yeah. She's very bold for a chicken. She, you know, she runs right to you. She, yeah. So she did the patent the other day. I'm sitting there and she's been doing this lately where she flies up to the lap and just lays down. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah. Yeah. This is going to be great. That's great. Here's the other thing I'm noticing about the chicks, the breeds that we've picked Uh this year. They are lazy. Oh my goodness. (laughs) If you did not also have leg bar chicks, I honestly would probably have taken our leg bars to the vet by now because I'm like, (laughs) they lay around all the time. I don't know what's wrong with them. So the other day we had bad weather and I'm like, okay, you girls aren't going outside. It's the weather's too bad. Yeah. So I have them in a pop-up in the garage, but they can just, I let them out of the pop-up and they just run the whole garage. Yeah. Right. So I put a blanket down on the floor in the garage. It's kind of comical that I'm on in the garage sitting on a blanket <laughs> like it's a picnic. Well, why not? And I'm talking to you on the phone. Uh-huh. And at one point, instead of running, they all just flop and lay down on the ground. That's cozy. Why not? And then I look around and they're all coming up on the blanket. Just lay down. They're like, yeah, we don't, <laughs> we don't need to be running. We picked lazy chicks. It's definitely. So croissant de favorils definitely lays down a lot. Fran, the leg bar, definitely does, but B, the other leg bar, always, always laying down. She's always sprawled (laughs) out and relaxed. Where Mary Berry, the speckled Sussex, will run up and jump on everybody and sort of wake them up. The fact that your speckled Sussex is the most active one (laughs) is kind of crazy. She's the most active one out of that bunch, but she doesn't even hold a candle to those Fiumis. Yeah, so Katie T. Biscuit is not one of our most active ones. No, no. And then Eliza and Angelica, they're the Favarals. Yeah. Definitely lay down more they than lay they lay down a lot. And then Cornelia and Peggy lay down a lot. But Cornelia, she'll fly up. She flew up on me along with Spicy. Okay. So it's so kind of comical. Like you're sitting there and Spicy's like going up to everybody like, come on, let's play. And they're just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? I'm so <laughs> tired. And don't get the idea that they're not moving at all. They're they're fine. They're perfectly healthy. Oh yeah. They just, they, they just like, to, like to lay around sometimes. They like to lay around and then they groom themselves uh-huh. and it's so They're doing cute. all the normal chick things that they're supposed to do. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with them. We're just not used to seeing chickens quite that laid back. So laid back. It's beyond cute. Yeah. They run a little bit and then they're like, hey, I'm just going to sit on your lap. <laughs> but I think for me, for them to go in with the lavenders is perfect. Oh, yeah. That's definitely the right place Although to Although the lavenders that. look highly active next to the chicken. We'll have to see how they are once they're out there permanently. <laughs> oh, my God. It's going to be hilarious. They are a funny bunch. They are. So are we ready to move into our breed spotlight? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I went with a little 80s rock today. It was like a ballad. Yeah, that was our time, man. Hair ballad, man. Our breed this week is the Bard Rock. The Plymouth Bard Rock. Also known as the Plymouth Rock. Yep. Let's set it straight for everybody. Bard Rocks. Barring is the black and white zigzag pattern. It's the pattern, right. That's why they are Bard. That's why that word is in there, Bard. Right. In the very beginning, when I just started, you kind of don't know that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Until you, you figure it out. Is, right, right. But barring is the way that the feathers grow. 
to make it look like you have black and white. That pattern is also known as cuckoo. So the barred Plymouth rocks, they were the original color. So again, that's why you hear barred rock. They just dropped the Plymouth. Yeah. But every other color, you'll hear like white rock or blue rock or buff rock, etc. We saw a lot of our local places this year having rocks. Yeah. Yep. And all different color rocks. Yeah. That's the first time in forever I've seen that. Part of that is because a lot of the local places all got their chicks from the same hatchery. Yeah. And they offered a lot of the different colored rocks. Because before, all you saw were the Plymouth Bard rocks. Right, exactly. The Bard rock, yeah. Yeah. So the barring probably came from a Dominique, an early straight comb variety, not not the later rose comb. Yeah. Standards of perfection variety. It would have been uh, an earlier version. And most likely it was crossed with a Java. Okay, which is also one of our favorites. Absolutely. But sometimes you'll see that Cochin is named as the other foundation breed. Okay. Various sources that I've looked up have said it was most likely that early Dominique and a Java. That's everything that I've kind of looked up to yeah. in the past. It yeah. basically said that it's right. very, very heavily of Dominique. That's what it says in the Standards of Perfection and a couple of other places. There are other breeders, I guess in the 19th century, other breeders claim to be the developers of the breed with other foundation breeds, including the Black Spanish. Okay. And some other colored Cochins. Okay. Yeah. I can kind of see it. Maybe. maybe. I mean, it's just a claim. There's nothing to substantiate yeah. it. I don't know how the colors would work out, et cetera, et cetera. But the breed was most likely developed in like the mid-1800s. Right. And it was refined to the point of being shown at America's first poultry show in Boston in 1849. And if there were an Instagram, that show would have been all over it. How fun would that be? I mean, can you that imagine all the ladies and all their big dresses coming with their chickens? Yeah, in the 1850s. Absolutely. Yeah. The Bard Plymouth Rock was first recognized as a distinct breed in 1873, and it appeared in the APA's first standard of perfection printing. Right. Which can make sense, because when you think of this chicken, you're thinking of kind of way back early Americans and everything else. Well, yeah, there's a myth attached to this, and we'll get to that. Yeah. But again, the, the other varieties of Plymouth Rock chickens came later, so the other colors, starting with the white rock that was in the standards in 1888. Okay. The other accepted colors are blue, silver penciled, which must be lovely. I've never seen one of those. Me either. Partridge, Colombian. Which is like uh, your Brahmas. Exactly, the light Brahma. Uh, that's a Colombian. And a buff rock. They kind of all would have that same classic hen shape or body shape. Right, right, yeah. To me, being out there, what's the most well-known is the Plymouth Bard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bard Rock is definitely the first... The The first in the line of them. That you tend to see, right? And a lot of people have trouble distinguishing the Bard Rocks from Dominique's. We've seen that. And basically, the number one way to do that is look at their combs. Absolutely. The Bard Rocks are going to have a straight comb. And the Dominique has that rose comb. Yes. And it really is confusing to a casual observer, but if you get used to comparing them, you'll see that not only is that comb different, the barred rock has a crisper and more defined barring. Okay. So it looks more graphic, like a graphic difference between the black and white. Yeah. You can see it's like boom, boom, boom. boom. Yeah. Yeah. And on the Dominique, it's a bit more irregular. But the Dominique is still lighter than the cuckoo on the Morans. So, we, so if you line the three of them up. Yeah. We've put up pictures of my cuckoo Morans before uh-huh. and had people mistaken them for barred rocks. Yeah. Easy to it's do. It's very easy to do. Uh-huh. But the one thing with the cuckoos is it's much harder to see those bars and it's more staggered. Well, the cuckoo Morans. Right. Yeah. Right. 
on the barred rocks, it's very, you can it, definitely it see. It really, it almost goes in a gradation. Like the, the barred rock is the clearest yes, with the barring. Definitely. And then the Dominique, their black and white barring is a little more irregular. It's a little tighter. Like the bars are right. smaller. And then with the Morans, it's even more irregular and it's a darker overall look. Exactly. You're not going to see that barring until you're right up on them. Right, they're right. They're all very beautiful oh, in their own ways. They're absolutely gorgeous chickens, all of but them. But they do look similar. I can see how it's easy to yeah. mistake in them. Absolutely, yeah. So the barred Plymouth Rock or any of the rocks are very good layers of large brown eggs. Now, I will have to say my barred rocks, they're more pink. Yeah, that happens. It's it's not a dark brown for them. No, it doesn't even look brown to me. Like I can tell the difference between them and the buff Orpingtons. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the buff Orpingtons have a larger egg, but they're brown. Yes, yes. Where these, they're really pretty. They're very pretty. They're very pinkish. Yeah, yeah, it is very pretty. They're reasonably friendly with people. Mine are very friendly. Uh-huh. They're not cuddlers. Mine are not. But they like to hang out and kind of be with you. Kind of like the Swedish flowers, in fact. So I have a little story. The one day Tom and Michelle have their truck. Your neighbors. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, it's great. I'm going to take some pictures with the chickens. So I decide to take Poppy out. Because Poppy is my Plymouth Bard Rock that has the largest comb out of it. Bright them. red, too. She's really pretty. And I'm like, look, I always take pictures of Buttercup and Bubbles, the buffs, <laughs> because they're like the supermodels. Yeah. And they're good at it, you know. <laughs> they know how to work their angles. They work it, girl. They're like, eh, work it, baby. So I take Poppy out. I put her down. And I'm like, let me back up. And she jets directly into a sticker bush. Oh, for heaven's sake. And I'm like, girl. It took me a half an hour <laughs> to get her out of the sticker bush where if I'm in the run with her, I can hold her. Yeah. I can do anything I want to her. Yep. But as soon as you put her out, she's like, forget it. I'm gone. She wants to go forage. So in the end, I had to go get Buttercup and let her work it, girl. Well, they're reasonably friendly with people again, but they do like to forage. They're good foragers. They're very good foragers. And they, they don't like their pictures taken. Apparently, apparently Poppy doesn't. They can be, this is my word, they can be kind of clicky. In a mixed flock, and like they'll I stick in the barred rock bunch, and my they, three do, yeah, and they will bully others occasionally. Oh, and that has happened, yeah. So I'm just speaking from experience with a breed that one of us has. Uh-huh. It's so easy to bring in your own experiences. The thing is, there's a wide range in everything. Absolutely, my experience is they're in the bottom end of the big girl uh-huh. flock, yeah. So they're always trying to get up, yeah. The three of them are always together. So they have their own little barred rock click. And then Lucy, who grew up with them, is kind of like- the leghorn. Is, she's like, I'm going to go hang with the queens. Yeah. Forget all y'all. Again, I've mentioned before that they were one of our first breeds, and I really liked them. I remember two in particular that I liked, Babette and Sylvia. And they were, again, people-friendly, not cuddlers, but they were people-friendly. Big, beautiful hens. I will say, though, if you put them in a flock- you need to put them around other chickens who are strong chickens. So you're saying is if you put them in a mixed flock, don't make them the most assertive breed in the bunch? I'm saying even it out, yeah. Okay, yeah. If you're going to put them in a flock with lavenders or let's say the Favarols, uh-huh. those chickens are going to be miserable. Okay. If you put them where they are with the Cuckoo Morans, right. they're giving them a run for their money. So they can kind of hold their own so against each assertive, other. Essentially, their assertiveness, their level of assertiveness is similar. Very. So you're not putting them in there with like really sweet pushover chickens. Nope. Yeah. Because they will push them over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Plymouth Rock is currently on the Livestock Conservancy's recovering list. Makes sense. It's, which is great. They do remain an extremely popular chicken. We Very. think they're a fantastic homestead breed. 
I love mine. Yeah. They're beautiful chickens. They're beautiful. They're really good layers. And just because we're saying they can be clicky and bullies sometimes. Well, it's just to do the research on your breeds and know which ones to put in with yeah. them. And again, experiences may vary. You might say, hey, I've got a flock of 10 and my barred rocks are super sweet. Well, you only have two in a flock of 10. And so that's not quite a click. When we say clicky, we mean if you have a mixed flock and you have three or more barred rocks, they can be clicky and they can bully less assertive chickens. You might have experience to the contrary. But if you have, say, 10 chickens and you only have two barred rocks, that's not quite enough to make a click. Do you remember this? When the barred were babies. and then barred I had, rocks, yeah. Yeah, and I had Lucy in there. Uh-huh. So I had Poppy, Bernadette, and Penny, which now is cowgirl Penny because Penny has grown the sperm. That's right. Okay. Right. And then we got Lucy. In the middle of all that, as babies, they picked on each other to be the highest in that little clique. Within their clique. <laughs> and they gave Bernadette a bald neck from pecking at her. Oh, I remember that. Didn't she have like an, an ingrown feather abscess or something? No, no abscess. But what they did was they pecked her so badly and I couldn't take her out by yeah, herself. Right. You can't have a So we ended up having herself. to go to the vet and she was put on antibiotics and he told me to use hot sauce on her skin okay, to deter them from pecking because they couldn't be separated. So they started that within their own clique. Right. <laughs> but to us, I can hold them. They'll put their heads on my shoulder. They really are great with people. They're a really nice breed. Yeah. I definitely wanted to go over that they're very nice. They're just not cuddly, cuddly. Right. And they're going to be jockeying for a position. Because they're a more assertive chicken. Yeah, they're that, definitely a little bit more assertive. Uh, survival instinct. Yeah, they're strong chicken. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a strong chicken. No. I really like them. I think they're beautiful. The eggs are really gorgeous. Yeah, the eggs are pretty. That sort of pinky brown color is really pretty. And they're a heritage breed. Yes. They're a heritage breed that comes with a lot of myths. A lot of myths. A lot of myths around this chicken. So number one, the Plymouth Rock absolutely did not come to America with the pilgrims. This is what we were talking about the other day on the phone <laughs> when you were doing the research. Right. I started looking it up with you. Everyone thinks they're named Plymouth Rock because they came over. Right. On the, right. On the Mayflower. But the records of the Plymouth Company show that the Mayflower, the, the initial voyage of the Mayflower right. brought no livestock with them to America. Which both of you and I were like, what were these people thinking? Yeah. I mean, it was extraordinarily expensive to ship animals. Yeah. And a lot of them didn't make it. Off no. that terrible journey. No. So, I mean, just picture this. You are going to a new country that's barely inhabited. You know that there are native people there that don't necessarily want you there. Right. You are fleeing from a land where your religion was not tolerated. Right. You probably don't have a lot of money. You're willing to work hard. But you're all on this ship for weeks and weeks on end. Everyone could probably use a really good shower. And then what would it be like if you have livestock in the hold with you? Well, I don't know, because I kind of look at that a little differently. I think the livestock would have been a smart thing to do. Of course, it would have been a smart thing to do. We know for sure that they brought two dogs with them on the Mayfair. We know that we found that in journals, uh -huh. that there were two mastiffs. Yeah, probably someone with money. That they brought, brought someone with their money, dog. right. But a chicken, you could probably keep it in an enclosed space with you. I and mean, it lays some eggs. Yeah. So you could use the eggs to eat on the voyage. Right. All this to say that the Plymouth Rock did not come to America with the pilgrims. In fact, they were developed in America, not in England. 
or any other European country. The fact that the pilgrims didn't bring anything contributed to what they called the starving time. Right. Which is, you know, where the first Thanksgiving came from. Yeah. Subsequent ships that arrived in 1623 and 1624 did bring livestock and it did include chickens. Yeah. I think the 1624 ship brought sheep as well. Yeah. And goats also, I believe. There's no way of knowing exactly what these breeds were. You have to go strictly by journaling and what's left. Right. And the fact that breeds weren't named the same way they are now, it's very geographical, blah, blah, blah. Chances are they would have included rugged breeds like the Dorking and the Sussex. Perhaps some of the English bantams that do well in small spaces and don't eat tons. Right. So you could definitely see those coming over. And as we've said before, the first breed in America was most likely the Dominique. Correct. In general, ships heading to the Chesapeake region, bringing settlers to the Chesapeake region, often stopped off at Caribbean islands on the way to procure their livestock. It costs a lot less. The animals tend to live longer. Because it's a much shorter trip. Much shorter trip. <laughs> distance, exactly. So Domingue, also called Hispaniola, it's an island that was modern day Haiti. Okay. And that was one island that was really popular for stops. Historians believe that the Dominique came to the U.S. through that island. Makes sense. And you see it all through literature. Sometimes you'll see it called the Dominic or the Dominicker. Yes. But we, we prefer the prettier Dominique. So, <laughs> <laughs> Since you own one. That's right. So there is a Plymouth Rock Fanciers Club. It's a website. Yeah, we have the website in our show notes. They've got lots of good information. It's kind of interesting. It's almost like taking your own little history lesson yeah. to go back and to look at all these different things. It's really cool. Oh, just to- oh wait. The cheerleader finds history interesting. I've always found history interesting. Okay. Always. In college, that was one of my favorite classes. Really? Was history. Okay. But not all history. Not world history. American history. It depends on who's teaching it, too. Yeah. That makes a big difference. Well, even just reading about it, I always find American history very fascinating mm-hmm. with everything. And it's fun to learn about where they actually come from. Yeah, it really is interesting. Yeah. So, I mean... It makes our relationship with them even more special in some ways. Oh, yeah, definitely. So... So, we have a surprise for all of our listeners. Yeah, we have a very special guest who's going to be joining us in a minute here. Yes, we have a very, very special guest who probably everyone will know that listens to us by name. Yeah. And we are going to bring to you an interview where we sat down with Lisa Steele. And got to know her a little bit better. Yeah, she's fantastic. If by chance you don't know Lisa, she has a blog and numerous books published about the care of chickens, ducks, and and geese. Six books, I believe. Yeah. Worldwide. And Lisa specializes in natural prevention of poultry health problems. Correct. And she is on Instagram and she is up in Maine. And what we want to do is bring to you that interview now. Enjoy. Let's welcome Lisa Steele. Hey, Lisa, how are you doing? Thank you guys so much for having me. I've really, really been looking forward to this. We have too. It's so great to finally meet you and be able to talk, talk chickens, talk (laughs) life in Maine. So how have you been doing? Good. I mean, you know, obviously pandemic, everybody's like, you know, life is a lot different. But the silver lining is so many more people have gotten chickens in the last year. I mean, tons of new people. And I think that it has been really great. It was sort of a wake-up call for people to maybe be a little more self-sufficient, maybe think a little bit more about providing some more of their own food, because you can't always rely on a supply chain for lots of reasons. You know, we just saw that with the the pipeline thing last week, too. And I I think that if there's any good to come out of it, I think that's one of the good things. Plus drive-ins. Everybody loves drive-ins, or I love drive-ins. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) 
that a lot of drive-ins opened up because I think they're super fun. And I think this generation of kids might not have, you know, been able to have the opportunity to go to the drive-in, except that it's a so ton rude. opened up the cashier. It's yeah. so funny you say that because we had, before all this started, one of the last drive-ins left yes. in the entire country with about, what, 20, 30, 35 minutes from us? Yeah, Benji's drive-in. Benji's yes. drive-in. And it still was going. And yeah. it was like, they had this big thing like, keep it open. And now, hey, that's the boom they needed to like say, you need us. They are thriving. It's true. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know some of them that had closed reopened or they opened them in, you know, mall parking lots or something like that. And I yeah. just, I feel like that was a really great thing because I don't know about you guys, but I have great childhood and teenage drive-in yes. memories. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I even went to a few, on a few dates to the drive-in. <laughs> <laughs> Probably did too. I don't remember. That's funny. <laughs> so, you know, since we're coffee with the chicken ladies that we're going to have to ask you, how do you take your coffee? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a uh, marketer's dream because anytime Coffee Mate or one of those comes out with a new flavor, I am all about it. <laughs> Me too. I'll try it at least once. But I usually go back to like my old, my standard is just like, you know, a really good coffee. We actually use a local main brewery and he's a veteran, like a Navy veteran and stuff. So I like supporting the local coffee company and we get it by subscription, but I definitely add heavy cream and sugar. And that's just kind of like my go-to. Oh yeah, that sounds so good. And I am all about flavor creamers. One of my favorites is Almond Joy. Uh, that I think because of the coconut <laughs> in it. <laughs> and my I like that one. Yeah, my husband's like, did you look at the calories? I said, no, I can't look at the calories no, on the creamer. No, <laughs> no, don't no. Look. Don't it's just look. a splash. It's just a splash. I mean, I try like every new flavor and I usually I don't stick with them. But Almond Joy is one I go back to. I do like that one. What's your favorite? Like, which one of your all-time faves? Um, if I had a go-to, I keep going back to hazelnut, but I feel like that's just like so boring and pedestrian. You but know, it's, it's so good. It's, though. Good. it's a classic. It's good. One I don't love is vanilla. I'm not a huge vanilla, and I I love vanilla like in baking and stuff, but yeah, I'm not really a big. And I don't like flavored coffees. I tried flavored coffees for right. a while. I don't like them at all. I, I prefer mm-hmm. just like a straight bean, and then yeah. add your flavoring to it. Um, oh yeah. We, because we live in Maine, we learned when we were six years ago that you're supposed to add coffee brandy to your coffee. Oh. So we add a splash of Allen's, which up until recently was the best selling liquor in Maine. And nice. there's some crazy statistic, like they sell like five gallons a year, like for every adult in Maine or something. Wow. Crazy. Like people drink a lot of it. <laughs> wow. That so that's sounds a great really good to, to me. Today. Just a splash of the coffee brandy, some heavy cream and sugar, and I'm good to go. And, you know, six cups of coffee later. Yeah, that's my my coffee. I'm on five for today, I think. Oh, yeah, that's about right. So, Lisa, what do you like best about Maine? Well, I grew up in Massachusetts and went to college in Rhode Island. And I've just always been like an East Coast New England girl. I love the seasons. Mm -hmm. I love that the seasons match up to the holidays. You know, so like at Christmas, we have snow and we go cut down a a tree and, you know, at at Easter, there are baby bunnies and things are blooming and, you know, like 4th of July, there's corn and watermelon, like everything makes sense to me. When we lived in Pensacola, the seasons all of a sudden didn't make sense because like it was hot and we were going to get a Christmas tree and flip flops. And like by July, (laughs) my whole garden was dead, you know, because it had burnt up in the sun. So like, I have to believe most holidays were probably invented like in Boston, maybe. 
Maybe. You know, so like Thanksgiving <laughs> that. So like at Thanksgiving, you're harvesting your pumpkins. Like all the seasons just make sense to me in Maine, which is yeah. probably a weird reason to live here. But no, um, no. that's kind of the same it. here in the Mid-Atlantic. The seasons go with everything, you know? Yeah, we still have the seasons. Here. Although the summer is super hot, it you know, be, and yeah. humid. So that's the only bad part. We get through it. And then fall, you're like, yeah, fall's here. Mm-hmm. And it's so Yeah, and you have the colored time. leaves and it's all like yeah. brown and orange, like Thanksgiving. And yeah, it just, life needs to make sense to me. And like, that's one thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Yeah. So if you had a visitor, where would you send them for the best main flavor? Absolutely. Just drive up Route 1 and stop at any little rundown lobster shack. I mean, you honestly can't go wrong. You know, the seafood is so fresh. And I mean, I've had lobster rolls at all random places and they've never been bad. Like you just can't go wrong. And you're going to get it cheaper than going to a restaurant. You know, you don't want to pay, you know, 25 or $35 for like a a split stuffed lobster. Like you either need to just get it just flat out steamed in seaweed or a lobster roll. Like, I don't think there's really any other way you should eat lobster because it's it's great by itself. Mm -hmm. Before kids, my husband and I would come to New England every spring for like a four day. We would fly into Manchester, New Hampshire, and then stay there and just drive all the way up. We have one of these really great memories of Perkins Cove, which is so cool. It's beautiful there. So we walked the whole cove. The town was so quaint. And then we had a lobster roll up on the hill. I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was delicious. It was just so beautiful. Maine is gorgeous. It's so pretty. It's like stepping back into like the 1950s, you know, like our gas station, the pump has like the clicky numbers. Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, like it's not digital. Yeah. (laughs) Like just weird random things like that. Like I just, I love it. I mean, I absolutely love living here. It's, I happen to love snow. I mean, I'm Scandinavian. So I think like it's in my DNA also to like live in snow. Right. Definitely. I love the snow. I kind of miss it. Like when it all melts, like I get sad, you know, because I'm like, oh, we won't have more snow till next October or whatever. I don't know. We've been watching. You get a lot of snow. A lot of snow. A lot. <laughs> we had snow two or three weeks ago, I guess. We usually get snow into May. I mean, it yeah. doesn't last long. And, and it's crazy because like the snow melts and like two days later, the grass is green and there's tulips blooming. You know, it's, yes. like, it's like everything was just ready for that. Flip. Just I mean, we have lilacs blooming now and azaleas. And so we just like dive right into spring once the snow goes away. That sounds beautiful. It too. sounds amazing. So we wanted to ask you, What does the average day in your life kind of look like from like getting up to like, what do you do for an average day? I don't, I mean, I don't have an average, which is really good. (laughs) I don't really like routines, but I mean, for the chickens, chickens, you know, you know, you kind of get up at sunrise. So like in the winter, that might be, you know, eight or eight 30 in the summer, it could be like four (laughs) 30. So I get up sort of at sunrise and, um, you know, let the chickens out, feed them. Sometimes in the winter, I try to get away with like a cup of coffee or two before I go out, you know, me it's too, really me too, dark, whatever, <laughs> but in the summer, I feel bad. So I go out, feed them, let them out into their run, you know, give them their water, check for eggs. And then I'm the only one up usually sometimes the cat wakes up that early with me. So it's like my quiet time and I have my coffee. I check my email, you know, I check all my social media, check my analytics, whatever. I don't really do anything like hardcore, you know, and then yeah depending on what the day is like, like maybe I have a podcast, maybe I'm editing my book or maybe I'm writing a blog post or I have like my big like thing for the day, you know? Right. And then I'm like a big grazer. So I'll nibble on just like whatever. Like I don't, like I told my husband when he retired and we moved here, I'm not like a short order cook. So there will not be three meals a day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I will make you dinner. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how it is in our house. 
kind of like fend for yourself, you know, there's stuff. And we, we do have a lot of happy hours. I have to say, even in the last year, it's been like, you know, two, three o'clock and I'm like, time for happy hour and we'll, you know, pour some wine or he'll have a beer and I'll put out some nibbles or whatever snacks, you know, I let the chickens out sometime in the afternoon. And then, you know, a lot of phone calls, a lot of this, a lot of that, whatever. And then again, social media, like all day long, someday I just walk mm-hmm. around and take pictures a lot of times. And then I do make a nice dinner every night. I, I will say that. Yeah. And then after dinner, I'm such a morning person that like, I'm done with my day. So it's like time for wine. And then, you know, we'll watch a movie or, you know, a lot of times I'll edit photos. I'll answer questions, like do stuff yeah. that's kind of mindless. But, you know, I do that for like a couple hours until bedtime. <laughs> that's Your really day my day. Kinda, I mean, it kind of sounds like ours. It's pretty similar. It's yeah. very similar. For me, you just inject two kids running around in between. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds very similar. Like, you know, when we get up, when I get up in the morning, I try to have a cup of coffee and do social media and everything first. Mm-hmm. And then you, I just can't wait to get to the girls, to get to the chickens. And I have right. three Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Holly Ann oh, has wow. two dogs. So I don't really need children because I have five sheep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't even. I, I give so much credit to like anybody who tries to do anything with small children. I can't even understand the concept. I mean... <laughs> It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, that's why we have at least Friday is we record every Friday. So we have fend for yourself for Friday and they still come to me. They're 11 and 16 and they're like, what's for lunch? I'm like, the house is full of food. Make something seriously. Yeah, no so, lunches. We, we learned that early on. I think my husband, like when he retired, he thought I'd be making him like a made-to-order breakfast, a lunch, <laughs> and a dinner. And I was like, I can't do that. Who has time for that? And when you have kids, I totally you have agree. Them. You know, like kids, I, you can't just not feed. Like that doesn't work. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. I always say to my family, I'm like, I'm not a short-order chef. Seriously. Right. There's food here. Make it. You know how to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, meal prep is too much. Like, just dinner is, is enough for me. And we always have, we have like sandwich makings. And I'm a, a big leftover eater. So, like, I'm thrilled yeah. to just eat, like, whatever's leftover from dinner. Or I'll have, like, cheese or nuts or whatever. So, yeah, I, I do enjoy cooking. And I like the dinner. Like, you know, we have music on or we'll have the news on. I pour my glass of wine. And I, I love prepping and chopping. And, like, that kind of, like, sets the mood for the evening. So, I do enjoy that. What's your favorite nice. type of wine? Our local gas station with the flippy numbers slash... <laughs> Speed store slash whatever actually carries it. Apothic Red, I think it's called. Yeah, that's um, awesome. yep. Yes, I've had that before. It's like it's really good. a bottle and we can just drive mm-hmm. two miles down the street and get it. So that's been like my go-to wine because it's really good. Yes. And Is it's it a blend? It's a blend. It's a blend. Right? It's a red I, blend. I've had that same exact wine. Yeah. It's really good. And I think a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine brought it to the house. And she was like, I had this. It's so good. You got to try it. And I, and I tried it. I was like, oh, my God, it is it's really great. good. It's a blend. Yeah, it's, it's a very pleasant wine. And I usually buy like three bottles at a time because it's so cheap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, That's right. the best kind of wine. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, this is the question we've been dying to ask you. <laughs> Do you have any chicken decor in your house? Okay, I, I'm going to give you an exclusive. TMZ has come to me, but I'm going to give you the exclusive. <laughs> the answer would be no. I'm shocked. <laughs> Yeah, I was swallowing I'm, coffee while you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the most I have is a, in my office, I have a little lamp that has like a cast iron chicken as okay. the base. 
someone sent it to me years ago and it was red and it had a red shade with fringe and it looked like it belonged in a whorehouse, honestly. <laughs> and I was like, this is weird, but I kind of like it. So I threw the shade away. I spray painted it like a cream color. I bought a new shade at Home Depot, cream colored, and it's just very subtle and it's a beautiful little yeah. lamp. So if the person who sent it to me is listening, I apologize because I really do love the <laughs> lamp, but it needed a little bit of a redo. Um, I but yeah, love I it. All the time. Or like when I do book signings and people come, like they bring me things, you know, like yeah, chicken well. shirts and, and I leave them all in the room for the hotel staff. So don't bring me things because I don't usually, I mean, I'm, I'm flying usually. I don't have room. Right, right. Totally. You know, and I don't wear chicken t-shirts. None of that. Like I have the real thing. I don't. Yeah, exactly. So, we're yes, kind of like on that chicken crazy stuff. chicken lady where our husbands were comparing how many chickens are in each other's houses. So then our other question to go along with it is, do you collect anything vintage? Like I'm a big collector of Pyrex. So I was wondering if you collected any Pyrex. I did see that you had put that in the notes. I do actually have my grandmother's big Pyrex mixing bowl. Okay. Uh, nice. It's a big pink one. And she also yeah. gave me a blue one. My mom has the yellow set. And that's like what I remember her cooking with and all that. Right. And then I got hooked on Pyrex and I started looking on eBay and like buying like random sizes and the different colors and that. So collecting is weird now because it's so easy. Yeah. I mean, you really can just go on Amazon or eBay and like search and it's not really collecting. Like I used to collect little vegetable timers, you know, timer oh, shaped yeah. like yeah. vegetables. But before nice. the days of the internet, so you would have to like stumble across one, like at a yard sale or at a yeah, new right. store. Like that was sort of challenging. Like now I kind of feel like if you want to collect something, you can be on eBay for half an hour and have like a collection. Yeah. You know? You can, yeah. We yeah. do it old school. We go to thrift stores and yard sales and I call it in the wild. It's really the thrill of the hunt. It's it the really thrill is. of finding something yeah. for $1.50. You're like, I found this for $3. <laughs> My mom was a big yard sale person. And when I was a kid, because my parents were both teachers, like we didn't have a ton of money. And yeah. um, we would go around on Saturdays to yard sales and she would let us buy like literally any toy we wanted because it was like 25 right. cents. I right. had the Fisher Price, everything. I had the airplane, yeah. the, school, the hospital, the farm. And like people, you know, kids from my class would come over for like a slumber party or whatever. And they were like, oh my God, you have like Fisher Price everything you know yeah I was like none of them are new they're all from yard sales and like we just had so many toys because she just let us buy whatever we wanted that's awesome you know? that's nice. it was great yeah, yeah like I kind of have my girls they're all into like if we're driving by they're like mom there was a yard sale and I'm like whoop turn the car around <laughs> let's go and see what's going on and then they'll be like I think there's some pirates and I'm like where where or you know <laughs> whether there's really pyrex or not they think there's pyrex. and holly right. ann and i go into we're not good going to the thrift store because we try to spot things before each other yeah and then she'll be like you know you tried to speed up and get in the aisle before me and like, <laughs> i may have said that the last time we went to a thrift store I think yeah, I did, yeah. Did. yeah i love them i mean as a kid same too my mom went to thrift stores and like it was all name brand stuff you know because you can get yeah, for this but as right. a kid, like you don't want to be wearing like secondhand anything and i'm like now kids i'm sure it's cool you know to be yeah, wearing like secondhand clothes or whatever. And I mean, I honestly had better quality clothes because she was buying them secondhand. And I love, in fact, I went to a Goodwill last summer and I got an egg steamer. It's like a little pot with a steamer oh, basket. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It was like 25 cents. And I was like, oh my God, this is such a steal. I love this. I know. So that is a great bargain right there. That is the thrill of the hunt. So we're going to change gear a little bit. Talk about chickens. We were really interested in the heritage breeds that you chose this year. And why you chose those specific breeds instead of your usual gray and black theme. 
Yeah, I do. I don't know how I fell into that. I think I started with the Australorp, which I absolutely love. I mean, it's just a great all-around chicken, great layers, great moms. They're pretty. And I love the way the sun looks on the black feathers yeah. and all this. And then this lavender, I started falling in love with like the lavenders and blues. Me and too. I was like, I have this like black and blue kind of chicken theme going and they look beautiful in the yard, you know, so yeah. I kind of went with that. So yeah, this year I veered off a little bit. I did get Red Island Reds, which are great. I mean, they're, my grandparents raised them and they're a super hardy breed. If you just want like a good, no nonsense chicken, same with Bard Rock, super mm-hmm. hardy. The secret again, TMZ wanted this story, but I will give it to you. I'm actually not keeping this year's chickens because I knew I was going to be traveling. So I did get them from Meyer Hatchery, but I knew that I was going to be giving to a friend. So I let her pick the breeds she wanted. She picked the heritage. And I, I was wondering if anybody would pick up on that. And somebody did actually comment like, oh, you're straying away from your normal colors. Right. And yeah. I was like, I'm not doing these tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the heritage breeds are great. You know, like yeah. even people who are going to do meat birds, I always recommend like just get a heritage breed. You know, they're large and they're dual purpose usually. And you know, they're going to be healthier. And I think a better chicken than going the like full on broiler meat bird route. Yeah. But yeah, I was yeah, that was funny, because I was like, Oh, you're not picking my colors. What are people going to say? <laughs> That's the first thing we thought. That's what we said. <laughs> it's like, wait, I think I texted Chrissy. I said, wait, wait, wait. I think Lisa Steele is getting heritage breed chickens. <laughs> I saw Bard no. Rocks and I know I saw Rhode Island Reds. <laughs> we were like, Lisa, yeah. what are you doing? I think yeah, she so. did pick Australorps also, though. Oh, and then she picked some of those steel eggers, which, yeah. well, she didn't pick those. Meyer just sent those because I hadn't okay. gotten any. So I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see what those come out like. Yeah. So my husband got to pick. He wanted his own chicken this year. So we oh. have 13 hens and now we have the six babies. And so he, being a guy, is like, I want the number one egg production chicken. So we have a Rhode Island red chick, just one. <laughs> and I was like, you better hold her constantly because you got to make her really sweet and love those hugs. So he's out there and she falls asleep on them. But we hold them so much, you know, so we're hoping and she's super friendly already. So we're like, yeah, they're not. I had them early on. Like my very first batch, I got two Buffalo Bittons, two Australorps and two Rhode Island Reds. That was like my very first batch of yeah. chickens as, as adults. And I mean, Orange Chicken, that was her name. So I was super inventive with her name. So I called her <laughs> Orange Chicken. I mean, she wasn't mean or anything, but yeah. she wasn't like wanting to sit on my lap. But I mean, she was a good layer and she never caused mm-hmm. any problems. She wasn't like super dramatic or anything. Yeah. You know, she was yeah. Fine. So he named her Spicy, but oh. she's a lap sitter. She jumps right up on your lap and sits down. So I'm like, somehow I picked her. I got the one cuddly. <laughs> I'm out of the bunch. So well, it doesn't matter because people ask me all the time. They're like, oh, what are the best breeds for kids? Or what are the best breeds for whatever? And I'm like, the best breeds are the ones you spend time with and handle exactly. and get used to you. And, you know, there are some that are super aggressive. Like I don't like lion dots. I tried them for a while and I don't find them super friendly. And some are just going to naturally be friendly or, you know, like the Orpington yeah. family. But right. I think any chick that you spend time with and raise, you know, I never recommend people getting pullets. I tried once. And mm-hmm. I just want really wanted some French morons and a breeder had them close by and I got three and I ended up selling them because they just never were as friendly as the ones I raised from day old. It's something we say on the podcast all the time. You get out what you put into the chickens. So if you're going to pour lots of love into them, there's no way they're not going to whatever breed they are know that you love them and give it back to you. So we're just, you know, we just try to pour as much love into them as we can to make them all friendly. Now, I have two cuckoo Morans 
who are great with us, but they want to rule the roost. We're very assertive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I tried the blacks. I had the three black morons that I got as pullets. They weren't fitting in. They like nobody seemed to like them. I have a blue now who is a lot friendlier. So, you know, okay. I don't know if the blues are better than the blacks or the cuckoos. But yeah, the morons in general are, I, I find the colored egg layers are not as friendly. Like, it's almost like they're just like, well, we just lay pretty eggs. So you'll keep us around <laughs> no matter what. They're like, you know, we're fancy. I have, <laughs> yeah, we're fancy. Like my Americanas. I mean, it's so funny when someone will say to me, you know, I'll say Americanas are like a little bit nuts. And people are like, oh, yeah. my Americanas are my sweetest chickens. And I'm thinking, what the heck else do you have? Like, <laughs> You know, I, I've raised a lot of Americanas over the years because I really wanted to get some real nice blue eggs and they've all been crazy. And my mean Kate, mean Kate is an Americana and yeah. nobody likes her, you know, but she lives oh, beautiful poor eggs. Mean so Kate. We, went, we wanted some blue eggs this year. And so we went slightly different. We got crusted cream leg bars. Oh, I love them. They're, they're amazing. amazingly sweet. I've got to say, oh. I didn't expect this personality, but they're amazing. Shout out to Myers because ours came from Myers also. Oh, good. Oh my God. They're like the sleeper chicken. They I really mean, are. They are amazing. Like once you get them, you're like, how did I not have them? before? The personality is fantastic. They get along with all the other chicken breeds and they lay sky blue eggs. You really can't go wrong with Although, them. Although I think Lisa no. should get next. I have a breed that I think you should get. It doesn't match your color theme though, but it does match your love for snow. The oh. salmon favorals. Oh, oh, they're like yeah. they would be beautiful in snow pictures. They would be. They would be gorgeous. Yeah. So I had two of them. Well, my name's Praline. I don't remember what the other one's name was. I had them in Virginia before we moved, and the two of them would just like pal around and chit chat with each other. And when we were moving to Maine, I was kind of like downsizing, so I didn't want to bring three dozen chickens to Maine, and some wouldn't oh, be. Wow. Like, I had resolutions, and I knew they wouldn't be super great in the snow because they have huge yeah. combs and everything. So I was yep. kind of downsizing. So I put like on Facebook and on Craigslist, and I was getting rid of some chickens. So I kind of had my favorites, like that I was taking in one pen. Everybody else in the other pen. So this guy came with his two daughters wanting some of the chickens and they were looking and all of a sudden the girls saw the favorals and they were like, Oh, they're so cute. So long story short, I ended up giving them my two favorals. Aww. One to each little girl. They were super excited because awesome. favorals are just so sweet and pretty and whatever. Oh, yeah. And then as soon as I left, I was like, I didn't want to give the favorals away. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I so love I them so get far. Some more. They're yeah. super, super cute. They really they are. are. And they look like they belong in the movie. Frozen. Yeah, we joke about the frozen <laughs> chicken. Yeah, they would go so well in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> they would. Okay, switching a little bit. What is the biggest medical emergency that you've ever had to deal with with your chickens or well, any of your poultry? Any of your poultry, yeah. So really the only. We had had chickens for maybe like a year or so, a year and a half. And I wasn't home, fortunately, but... A pair of fox dug under our barn into oh, our chicken no. run and they killed all but three of our chickens who were mm. in the coop laying eggs. Oh my um, goodness. And all of our ducks, like everyone was killed. And I was like oh, no. at a friend's house overnight and my husband called and like he actually drove to come get me because he didn't think I could drive home. But yeah, it was awful. Like he cleaned up everything and he actually had to like euthanize one chicken that was in really bad shape. Orange chicken survived. She was laying an egg. Charlotte, my Australorp, who we, we just lost her like two years ago. So she lived oh, like, wow. oh, well, you know, another amazing. seven years. That's and amazing. Then Lucy, who I forget she was, she was, but she actually was attacked, but she made it. And she had like a, some kind of neurological, like one of her nerves was like pressing on something. And it got to the point where I had to have her put down from the attack. So we really only had wow. two survivors, but it was awful. And like, I thought I had done everything right, but I hadn't realized that Fox would dig under, like I had sunk the fencing all around the mm -hmm. run, but yeah. not 
where the run hit the barn. So they went under the barn and came up under Um, and the chickens were all in their run. I mean, they weren't even free ranging. Like I thought I was being super. Sometimes they're so savvy that no matter what you do, like with our run, we decided to fan out three to four feet at the bottom and Mm -hmm. then bury and dig over all the way around so that even if something came up to where they thought they could dig under, there was no way they could dig to get under. Right. And they're not smart enough to like back up four feet and try again. But I think, (laughs) and this is actually a good tip. Like I think people often forget where the run is attached to their coop. Like you need to put the fencing down there too. Yeah. 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 That's what I missed. And it was awful. And like those three survived. Like I was almost done. I was like, I hate chickens. I don't want to like take care of them. I hate everything about it. It's so traumatizing. It's really traumatizing. It's hard to come back from that. Yeah. I had one Americana who was getting bullied. So I had her in a smaller cage that was like five feet by 10 feet with her sister, like during the day, but it was really close. And I didn't realize it, but a fox had dug under and got her sister and attacked her. We caught it quick enough, but it's just hard. It hits yeah. you hard. People like, underestimate. I always say free ranging, it's super dangerous. And like, if you decide to free range, you're going to lose chickens. I mean, there's no way, you know, it's just going to take one time and people like they argue or they don't believe it or whatever until it happens to them. And they're, then they're like, I was right out there with them. Like Fox, they're super bold. And I mean, I've learned a lot of things over the last 12 years and we fortunately have coyotes here. Which we do too. Yeah. They keep the, the fox population down and the coyotes are not as apt to come out during the day. Like yeah. I would rather deal with a larger, like I wish we had a bear or like a werewolf or something. You know, the, <laughs> the larger predators are easier. You know, I'm, are. I'm terrified of they weasels. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the smaller ones are definitely harder to keep the chickens safe from. The bigger the predator, I feel like the easier it is to keep the chickens safe. But I'm glad we have coyote that kind of keep the fox down because a coyote is less likely to come out during the day. That's what Holly and I were saying. We only supervise free range. We have a lot of people asking us also, and that's all we do. I'm within 10 feet of my chickens at all times. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm still worried. I'm still like 100% looking around because a hawk could come above, a fox could come out, and you don't even know it. So Your neighbor's dog. I mean, dogs terrify me more than anything because, you know, if a fox comes out and you start yelling and screaming or, you know, shoot off a gun or whatever you do, they're going to take off. But a neighbor's dog is not going to be afraid of you yelling and screaming and whatever. And that really terrifies me because you don't want to, like, shoot a neighbor's dog. My girls and I have a plan. So usually the three of us are out together. So that's three of us to 13 hens or sometimes three of us to eight because we have two different flocks. So... Our plan, we said, okay, if a dog comes up, because we're on three acres, no fence. If a dog comes up, we go to the dog versus the chickens and try right. to yeah. get yeah. the dog Absolutely. so, so yep. that yep. we're not trying to run to eight plus whatever yeah, chickens. Yeah, yeah. chickens. So we've had that plan in motion all along, just in case. But you got to think yeah. ahead. Really, exactly. That's and that's, the, a, that's a good one. It's a good plan. It's one of the first pieces of advice that when people who knew the chickens come to us, one of the first things we say is predator proof. Yeah. I've had chickens for 20 years. We actually do a coop and a freestanding yard around it. Yeah, we do That's too. fortified because my sister and I lost most of our first flock of chickens. So I don't think we can underestimate how important that predator proofing is. Yeah. Yeah, you can. I see, especially on Instagram now, you know, because like everyone's getting chickens and they're posting pictures of their coops and like they have this beautiful coop that w- they had custom built and then they have the run. And it's like made out of chicken wire. And I'm just like, oh, that chicken wire is not going to take anything out. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when something's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. 
So now we're going to change a little bit into our segment called Cracking the Eggs. And we thought it would be great for everybody as a treat to have Lisa bring one of her tried and true egg recipes to us for Cracking the Eggs. So Lisa, what recipe did you bring this week? So I brought my eggs Benedict. I get asked a lot if I could only have eggs one way for the rest of my life, what that would be. And it would definitely okay. be Benedict. Once you have chickens, you have so many eggs and you, you know, you get tired of scrambling them. You decide <laughs> you need to master the hollandaise sauce and the poached mm -hmm. egg, which, you know, it, it's all about the timing. Like you have to get your English muffins toasted when your eggs are poached and when your sauce is done. But like, I had so much fun practicing it, you know, like years ago. And like, once you master it, like, although I am not a short or a cook every once in a while, I'll say to my <laughs> husband, like, you know, do you want eggs Benedict tomorrow for breakfast? And like, that's like a huge treat. You know, it's like, it's fun to make. It's just so like glamorous and delicious. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah, love it. definitely. Hollandaise sauce is one of those things. I mean, I know I can't eat it every day. But if I could, I would. It's so oh, yeah. good. It's so, so good. So what we're going to do is have a link yes. to Lisa's recipe. Okay. A link to Lisa's recipe in our So that notes. everybody can go and look at it and try to make it. Hollandaise is tricky. Like it breaks. And if it breaks, it's fine because it's so delicious. Like it doesn't matter. Right. Like you're not serving, you know, Gordon Ramsay or you're not on Top <laughs> Chef. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. And your photos of the Eggs Benedict look beautiful. They it's look beautiful. Scrumptious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's really, I think every time I make it, I take new pictures and like update the blog because, <laughs> you know, our egg yolks are so bright orange. Yes. It's like the, the hollandaise comes out like a really weird color. <laughs> like not like the color you get if you have it at a restaurant. Right. It's right. really hard to photograph. And I've made it. I mean, a lot of times we don't have English muffins. So I make it on just like rustic bread or yeah. just a regular piece of toast, or sometimes not even with bread, like just yeah. put hollandaise over an egg or over asparagus. Like there's a lot of different things you can do. I really love it over asparagus. It's also. delicious. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it really is. It's definitely good. And plus you could add the asparagus to it as a little spice up to That's the egg true. and the hollandaise and put it all mm -hmm. together. That mm -hmm. would be so good because asparagus is so good with eggs. So Lisa, yeah. we know that you're a master gardener for Maine. Do you grow your own asparagus? I did in Virginia. We had just gotten it going. Like, you know, it takes asparagus, like however many years, you know, yeah. we had just gotten them up and they were kind of like pencil size. And I think we had our first harvest in Virginia and then we moved to Maine and I have not wow. gotten it started again. I really should. A close friend, in fact, the one who has the chicken, they <laughs> have asparagus, which they bring us. Like we do the barter system a lot up here. So like, nice, nice. We didn't have chicken, so we had the eggs and I grow a lot of garlic. So we always have like eggs and garlic to barter. And then we barter with like our one neighbor gives us potatoes and another gives us, you know, asparagus. So That's I don't really feel the need to grow. Yeah. It, it is fun to grow. It just takes time. It's one of those things. Yeah. Like they say, when's the best time to plant a tree? And the answer is like 20 years ago. You know, like yeah. as soon as you buy your <laughs> house, like yeah. you need to start planting trees because you're going to regret it. Asparagus, you kind of have to get in the ground the yeah. second yeah. you buy your property. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to get the established. Yeah. Most yeah. definitely. Okay. So you have six books out and then the cookbook coming. Which of them is your personal favorite? So that's super hard because like, first of all, you're not supposed to pick a favorite like with kids, you know, but... <laughs> I mean, my we first had book. To ask, was, I know, I know, I know. My first <laughs> book was my first book. Like, how could you not love your first book? Well, my second book was my duck book, which I love our ducks. Like, if I could only pick chickens or ducks, I would pick ducks hands down every time. And then I wrote a kid's book, which was super fun because I had an illustrator and it was like such a different experience, you know? Right. So those three were also different. But then the next three were sort of a series, you know, Guarding with Chickens, the Hacks book, and then my um, DIY book. And 
you know, it's projects and it's just things that I love. I'd say probably my first book because it was just, you know, like a publisher took a chance on me and nice. Yeah. It's kind of like what I do. I wrote it eight years ago now, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I'd say 90% of what's in there. I still do. I still swear by, I mean, we're always learning, you know, sometimes I'll do something and someone will say, well, in your book, you said, and I'm like, well, that was eight years ago. Like, Exactly. If we're not learning and you know, with chickens, there's not a lot of studies out. I mean, some studies have come out in recent years and Interestingly enough, a lot of them do actually kind of reinforce things that I was doing back then, which makes me really happy because I felt like I was doing the right thing. But I just love the whole concept of like using herbs and edible flowers and and not using chemicals. I actually have your gardening with chickens book and I love it. It's amazing. I like looking at your pictures in there. That was a fun one too. Fun fact. You guys had Kate from Drinking with Chickens on a few months ago. She actually took a lot of the pictures from that book because we had just moved to Maine. And I was like, it was August. I was like, I can't write a gardening book in Maine in August because like, I can't, I don't have time to plant things, whatever. So a lot of the pictures in that book, Kate took because she lives in California and had the flowers in the garden. And she has Veruca who looks just like my violet. Okay. So it's actually not Violet in the book. It's Veruca. That's funny. We love Kate. She is sweetest. And we're like, when we talk to her, her pictures in her book, I joked, I said, the girls are always like, are you looking at that grown up book again with the drinks? I'm like, I like the pictures. (laughs) Kate's great. She is. She's amazing. Yeah, she's so so fun. So can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration that's kind of made you pivot a little bit and focus on a cookbook this time? I kind of always, I, I love to cook and, you know, I had the idea for a cookbook and I pitched it to my publisher who did, you know, Garden with Chickens and all my other books yeah. a few times. And they were sort of interested, not really. And they made me kind of an offer, but they weren't really, you know, a hundred percent into it. Right. So I said, you know what, if I'm going to do a cookbook, I want to do it right. And I need to get an agent. I need to, you know, do the whole deal. So I did, I interviewed a bunch of agents and this was all pre-COVID. So I, I found an agent and he loved the idea, was super excited um, pitched it to a bunch of publishers. And I actually did talk to my editor at Cordo, who was super nice. And he totally understood. He's like, we can't offer the budget or the the photography, like the whole thing that a big publisher right. can. And he let me out of right. my contract and he was super cool about it. So they pitched it around and then COVID started. <laughs> and I think I got three offers and um, Harper Collins was really the one I wanted. And theirs was the best offer. So I took that offer oh, yeah. and signed the contract in June. So it gave me something to work on because I was kind of working on it all along because my agent said, somebody is going to be interested. So why don't you just start working on it while I'm pitching it? But I think COVID just more reinforced to me that A, life is short. B, you can never take anything for granted. And I I realized that I I didn't want to like be on my deathbed and be like, I wish I had written a cookbook. You know, I felt like it was time and I didn't want to write it. In fact, Tom, my editor at Cordo, when COVID first started, he wanted me to write another chicken book like just a basic beginners because I wrote my first two books with a different publisher. And I was like, Tom, like, I get it. Everyone's getting chickens. I think it would be great. He's like, you could write it quick. We could push it out quick. Like it wouldn't be a big deal. And I was like, right, it wouldn't be. I could write it in my sleep, but my heart wasn't in it. Like I didn't really have anything else to say about chickens. And so I turned that off the down. And yeah, I know pivot was kind of like the word of last year because everybody was pivoting to try to save their business. But in a way, I kind of pivoted away from like chickens blew up. My blog blew up. My book sales blew up. Like yeah, there were more yeah. than double, but I pivoted kind of like away from what was working, but it, it was something I needed to do for me. I just really, really wanted to write a cookbook. And I realized that that's what I'm passionate about. I love my chickens, but what I'm really passionate about is cooking. 
That's awesome. I mean, I think sometimes our hearts take us to certain places and you have to follow your heart and your passion because it's truly what's going to make you so happy and all of this. Like, you know, Holly and I, we've been best friends for 40 years and, you know, we, right. Yeah. (laughs) So we love to get together, talk chickens over coffee and what can we do to make this real in our, you know, like you just follow your heart and that's never going to lead you wrong. Your heart will never yeah. lead you wrong. You end up exactly where you belong. And, yeah. you know, at first when I turned down, Tom, I was like, is that dumb? Because a chicken book actually did come out pretty soon after COVID started, you know, shot to the top and it's selling a bazillion copies and this and that. And I'm like, you know, maybe I should have just done it just for like the quick buck and whatever. And then I was like, no, because I, I would not have been excited about it. Yeah. So much of the advice in your first book, because you're focusing on preventative health care, so much of that just holds true. Definitely. It's good basic stuff. The other thing was we were totally excited when we heard about your cookbook deal. We felt like it was one of our own, one of our chicken people <laughs> who was stepping out into this amazing realm of yeah. cookbooks. It's really exciting. It's so exciting. It's- we can't wait till it comes out. And I mean, you have to follow your passion. I mean, that's my thing in life is follow your passion. People are going to respond to that. You know, people do things for various reasons. If people start blogs or podcasts or whatever for various reasons or write books. But you can tell the people who are just doing it for the money and the people who honestly love what they do. You know, and I I felt like I was getting bored with, you know, I've been doing this since 2012 and like every day posting pictures of chickens. Like how long can you sustain that? You know, and I can still do both. I mean, my my blog's not going anywhere. My books are hopefully not going out of print, but this is going to just be a whole new group of people who hopefully I'll encourage some of them to raise chickens, you know, and it it just made sense. It was, it was the next step. And I'm, I'm just beyond thrilled. Like writing for HarperCollins has been like, we had five people on the photo shoot for the recipes. I took the photos for my first two books myself and then had a photographer for the next three, but it was just one photographer. You know, she came for like a couple of days and right. this is like whole next level of, you know, do you want hair and makeup for the photo shoot and like, you know, go get a manicure. And I, it's been it's fun. Nice. It really, it, it's yeah. what got me through COVID because I need something to focus on. How amazing is it to see a professional staging your recipes? That must be so much fun. Yeah. Cooking and staging them. It was, I was having nightmares, like they would make the recipes and nothing would work. And it was kind of (laughs) nerve-wracking to sit there and watch them make the recipe and then like stage it and prop it. And, but then, you know, they would finish and they'd be like, Hey, who wants a bite? And, you know, these professional food people were tasting them and loving them. And I was like, this is beyond, you know, I'm, I'm so excited because I'm just a huge, like food network junkie and top chef. And, we like, are too. Stuff, we are know? too. Yeah. I'm just excited. Like, like I follow, so Kelsey who won top chef last year or the year before Kelsey Bernard Clark um, has chickens. So we like chit chat on Instagram and nice. it's just so like, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, on our end, it's just amazing to see a fellow chicken person doing it. I want to do, I mean, I've done a ton of like morning shows and talk shows and talk about chicken, but like, I'm excited to see which ones I get booked on to promote the cookbook, but then right. I can also promote chickens, which is going to be yeah. fun. That's, <laughs> That's amazing. That's the beauty of it. It's really amazing. Yeah. Which yeah. kind of brings me to this question. Which do you like better, writing the books or doing the videos? I mean, I like both. And I guess the better question would be, which do you like better, like doing that or doing social media? Like social media to me, you spend so much time creating content. And Mm -hmm. once it's down two or three posts, it's just gone. Yep. You spend so much time like taking the photos and coming up with the captions and this and that. They're just gone. And like I scroll back and I know no one's looking at it after like a week or so. So I love creating content that is lasting. 
it is going to be archived basically and people are going to keep reading or watching or whatever. Yes. So I do like both. I mean, I, I like the books because I obviously don't have to take a shower and do my hair and stuff. But, <laughs> you know, I, I like the video or the TV show or whatever because it's just something that's so different. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I absolutely love doing podcasts because I feel like people are turning to them because social media has just gotten so awful. And it's a way that you can get information without having to read all the nasty comments and yeah, the right. drama in that. You know, I have people, I've been on like Joe Lampel and like, um, like Melissa Norris, you know, some of the garden podcasts and like right. years later, someone will say to me, I just watched the podcast that you were on with Melissa. And like, they find me through a podcast I did four yeah. years ago. That's yeah. not happening on social media. You know, it's, no. it's just constantly I mean, grinding out content. We definitely get what you're saying about social media because that's, you know, where we are. We're building our following right now. So we pour a thousand percent into all of our content to give everybody the best that we can. So yeah, we definitely feel you on that. That's for sure. But podcasts are great because everyone can listen to you and everybody's multitasking these days. So they can right. listen, get the information, be cooking dinner, drinking wine, cleaning the chicken coop, cleaning the chicken coop. Yeah. So they can hear you. And then when they hear you on here, they're going to be like, I need that cookbook. <laughs> so I can be well, cooking while listening. <laughs> exactly. Or they come follow me on social media. I mean, there is a crossover, but I feel like podcasts, I just reach people. And plus I get to talk about things that I wouldn't necessarily talk about, you know, yeah. on a blog yes. post or you know, on social media. So it's yeah. fun. I mean, the ones I listen to of people that I do follow or like, like you feel like it's sort of, you get like an exclusive because I mean, I've talked about bachelor on podcast. Like I go on to talk about right. chicken and I'm talking about bachelor or whatever it is, you know, my girls so and fun. I are bachelor fans too. So we might have to confer with you after we watch also. <laughs> <laughs> so Lisa, what has been the biggest surprise as you worked on the cookbook? Honestly, the biggest surprise is that I actually am a really good cook. <laughs> like I, I didn't, I, I guess at first it was just kind of like a pipe dream and I was like, oh, I want to write a cookbook. And then as things got real and, you know, I was recipe testing and I was doing this and doing that and then having this whole team test my recipes and, you know, I'm, I'm tasting them as they make them. And I was like, these are really good. Like, I mean, it's been almost two years since I started just coming up with the recipes. And for a while there, last winter, when we were, I was really down to the wire, like every single day I was cooking something and, you know, maybe multiple times. And, you know, I really did improve as a cook and as a baker. I just had a thought. Now your husband's going to want you to write a second cookbook so you can keep cooking every day. <laughs> keep cooking. Well, some of the things he wasn't quite as excited about, you know, like we had leftovers and I brought some home to my mom's and you know, before I started back home to Maine today, he was like, you can leave, you know, this and this and that at your mom. <laughs> like, there were certain ones that I was like, this is dinner. Because I mean, you can't, I couldn't just cook things that we specifically like. I mean, it is recipes that I like, but you know, you have to have a variety. So yeah, yeah, so it, was, it was kind of like on demand. We ate a lot of eggs this last year. <laughs> that brings me into this next question. Is there a favorite recipe of yours and or are they all egg recipes on your cookbook? Yeah. So every recipe does contain eggs, which I, when I was interviewing agents, I had one agent say to me, do you really think that you can write a cookbook with just egg recipes? And I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. right? I mean, 
I have well, my mom, once she knew I was writing the book, she started ripping egg recipes out of magazines or I yeah. have like stacks of egg recipes. I mean, yeah. I don't think you could ever run out of because they can no, be sweet, they no. can be savory. They, I mean, there's just so many ways to cook eggs. So yeah. I, I had to cut down the recipes that I, and I have, honestly, I have enough recipes for another whole book. Like nice. there's just so many ways to use eggs. You know, they're yeah. not always like the star, but yeah, they're in, there's eggs in every recipe. It's not a vegetarian cookbook by any means because like I love right. a good cheeseburger, I love bacon, <laughs> but there's not a lot of meat in it because the eggs are the protein. Often. Protein. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. of course. You know, so it should appeal to, you know, a variety of different, you know, whole 30 or keto or whatever. But my favorite recipe, I mean, my favorite egg recipe, like in the whole wide world is creme brulee. So nice. I'd yeah, say probably uh-huh. that. You can't go wrong. One. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you were mentioning earlier food security, COVID, having people turn towards chicken for food security. I think the an egg cookbook is very timely for that. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Chickens in your yeah. backyard, a way to use your egg. I mean, that's why we try to come out every week with different way to use your egg. And mm-hmm. it's endless because almost everything you think of has eggs in it. I mean, it's hard to, yeah, when you don't have eggs, it's hard to actually come up with something like scones and shortbread are kind of like my two baking go-tos. Yeah. You know, if I have to like bake something and I don't have eggs. Scones and shortbread are about the only thing that don't have eggs in them, but it is hard to come up with something that doesn't have eggs in it. Yeah, it really is. Most definitely. So we're going to wrap up the interview with a few more questions that are aimed at getting to know you a little better. So we know you're a master okay. gardener. <laughs> What's your favorite flower? Definitely lilac. Uh, nice. Yeah. I love lilacs. Like we missed them when we lived in the South. We had crepe myrtles, which aren't really the same. They don't yeah, have an the amazing lilac. lilac smell. No, they don't. And I grew up, in fact, I just came back from my mom's with a bucket full of lilac shoots that I dug up that she, you know, the little babies are coming up around. When we, I was growing up, we had lilacs all over our yard. We have some here. We inherited one bush, which I've since split and replanted. And I have them planted nice. around my chicken run. And I mean, they're edible, which a lot of people don't realize. You can make yeah. them jam or jelly. And the chickens can eat them, but they just, they smell so good and, and they're beautiful. What are the chickens' favorite thing to snack on in the garden? Well, they love to eat our hostas, which they're not really supposed to eat, but um, <laughs> they really go after the parsley. They have, nice. my chickens have their own herb garden next to the coop. I Ours plant, you too. Um, yeah, because I mean, herb seeds are cheap, you know, so I just, yeah. I fence it off, plant all the herbs, and then once they grow, and a lot of them are perennials, you know, like the, the lavender and the thyme, the oregano, like a lot of things come back, you know, so then I, I fill in with whatever. But yeah, I think they like the parsley the best. That's awesome. We think we know the answer to this one, but we're going to ask it anyway. We ask everyone this question. What's your favorite breed of chicken? (laughs) All right. What do you think it is? Australorp. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. They're just, they're great chickens. I I mean, there's no downside to them. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful chickens. They are beautiful. That's for sure. And then finally, what do you do just to unwind and have fun? That's not about chickens or the farm. Just something that you like to do that's fun. I honestly, I can't really think the last time that I was awake and not working. I mean, I I really, I love what I do and it sounds so corny, but like when you love what you do, you don't feel like you're working all day. And of course I take breaks and I, you know, I garden or whatever. I like to knit in the winter. Um, Oh, another knitter. Holly Ann's an avid knitter. Yeah, I'm a hand spinner and knitter. I'm really excited. I have an article coming out in the fall issue of Spinoff Magazine about working with Hog Island Sheep Wool. I don't know, Lisa, but I might have to send you a little bit of hand spun yarn. (laughs) (laughs) No, that I would take. I love, um, yeah, I'm a big knitter. We lived in Finland when I was 
in sixth grade, um, my dad was getting his doctorate. And instead of just doing it here, we decided to go to Finland to like find our ancestors or whatever. So we lived in Finland for a year and they taught knitting was like a class. So I learned how to knit mittens and I was like so excited. And my grandmother, my mom doesn't knit. My my grandmother was a knitter, but I'm left-handed. So she taught me like sitting, you know, facing me. So I branched out for the mittens. But yeah, I used to knit a ton before I got really business busy with this. Like I always have, you know, some kind of knitting project going. Okay. Um, socks, mittens, you know, scarves. I don't like scarves. Do do, I do like towels because they're towels are nice. Yeah, do they're easy. Do you do a, a lot of color work, like the finished tradition with the color work? Do you do any of that? Yeah, I have. No. I actually made like a sweater with the um, like the Fair Isle or the oh wow. Whatever. It's intense. I mean, both <laughs> time and money. So yes. usually I'm working on like something smaller, you know, I like making like the fingerless gloves. Mm-hmm. Those are cool. You know, yeah, or just like nice. the tube with the, cause I wear those, you know, they're super yeah. functional and that, and they're quick to whip up. But yeah, oh, I have so much yarn. I have so many projects I need to get to. <laughs> I feel you. I'm over here like, I need to do this. And then the kids are asking me something and the, the chickens need something and then the dogs need something. So we should ask a question about Winston. He's so cute. Winston. <laughs> Does yeah. he like yeah. the chickens? You know, he's really, he's a rescue and we got him when he was like three. So funny a story, Alton Brown has corgis and he found out that Winston was um, up for rescue at the Virginia Beach Animal Shelter and he put on his Twitter someone needs to rescue this corgi and if they do I'll send them handmade dog biscuits I was like I always wanted a corgi so my husband agreed we sent in our application we had to do this written application and they picked us so Alton Brown actually he didn't send cookies but he did send Winston a handwritten note and a whole box of tennis balls We, we rescued him and we don't know that he ever had seen a chicken before, you know, we don't know anything about his background, but he's been so good with them. Like right from the start, like he just lays out there and they just walk around the yard and he doesn't mess with them or he's great with them. He's so cute. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that's cute. a great story too. I know. Yeah, I, I rescued, know. Right. I rescued two of my cabbies. So they're two of the three are rescue brothers that came together and they get, they're so rewarding. It's almost like they want to thank you every day. Like, thank oh, you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think they are our cat. We have a tuxedo cat who also was a rescue. We got him as a kitten and he and Winston are little buddies. And yeah, nice. I mean, every farm needs a barn cat, although Winston lives in the house. I mean, Linus lives mostly in the house, but we call him our barn cat, but he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't live in the barn. He's watching um, the barn from inside the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he eats the mice and stuff. But yeah, corgis are a good farm dog. They were built for sliding under fences and mm-hmm. all that. Nice. Fantastic. Well, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We this really has been appreciate super it. fun. Good it's great. been so much fun talking and getting to know you. And we would love to have you back on when the cookbook Oh my drops. God, we would love it. We would love to just sit and chat with you over coffee again. Yeah, that would be fun. It's coming out February 15th of 2022. So we still have a while to wait. Okay. And actually, next time I might have wine too. I might have to get like the wine this. that you have. <laughs> Maybe wine with the chicken ladies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the red blend, which is lovely, which I'm actually out of. I drank my whole glass. <laughs> it was so great to talk with you. Take care. Okay. We want to send out a huge thank you to Lisa Steele for sitting down with us this afternoon, coming to the table, drinking some coffee, some wine, and talking chickens. It was so much fun. It was really great. And if you guys haven't read any of her books yet, do yourselves a favor. They're amazing. They're great. Holly Ann, she has a new cookbook that's going to be out February 2022. It's going to be amazing. It's all about egg recipes. Gorgeous photos. And we are going to be excited to have her back on the show. 
we've now made friends. So it's great. It's wonderful. Okay. So why don't we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite breeds, the Jersey Giant. That is a great breed. That is a great breed. We have a round table with the Floof Lady. We're going to be talking about getting a vet for your chickens. That is really important. And welcome back to Fiona to the table. Absolutely. Cracking the eggs. Egg charcuterie board. One of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And we're going to review the Spalding Fly Predators. Something that you don't really want to talk about, but you need to. And they're really awesome. They yeah. make a huge I mean, difference on your farm. Let's face it. Flies are bad in the summer when you have and livestock of any kind. Yeah. So this is a good solution. So before we let everybody go, what should we tell them? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show so that we can bring you even more high-quality chicken content, please visit our Patreon page patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.